welcome to the show. Unbossed. Hopefully one one of the best hours of your day. And so happy to have with me co-host Max Burns, a Rebel HQ contributor. Max, welcome to the show and happy new year. Thanks so much for having me, happy new year. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Any hot happenings over at the over at Rebel HQ? Uh, we are tracking the already breaking down Republican Congress. I'll have a piece out today on how Marjorie Taylor Greene is slowly taking more and more power here from Kevin McCarthy. We are in for a wild ride. Oh yeah, everybody strap up because it's gonna be not only wild, it's gonna be a long ride. It's gonna be a long two years. Just even the thought, Max, of Marjorie Taylor Greene taking over. I just perished the thought, but it is exhausting. It is very much so. So glad you all have it covered over at the Rebel HQ. And today, Max and I, we have the ultimate WTF neoliberal. And you all probably already know who that is. President Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden. I am really shaking my head and sighing a lot over all of the breaking news about what is happening with the papers. And then day two of Stolgate continues Joe Manchin, the shadow president. So we're gonna be talking about the president and the shadow president today. And the fact that Senator Joe Manchin decided to comment on on stoves, on gas stoves. Meanwhile, he does nothing to help change the material conditions of the people, not just in his state, but all over this country. We see you, Joe, we see both Joes. And later we will discuss how asbestos is still legal in the United States of America. Yeah, you heard me. And lastly, there is a rip roaring interview later in the show that you do not want to miss. So stay tuned, we got you covered. We've reached a moment where we're gonna need my fire extinguisher. You're gonna need one too, I got, it, I got it right next to me. Those of you who watch on a regular basis have become very familiar with the fire extinguisher. You're gonna need one too. The ultimate WTF neoliberal story is upon us and it is courtesy of the WTF neoliberal king himself, President Joe Biden. This particular story right here will have me forever saying WTF neoliberal. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema. Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. CBS News has learned that classified documents belonging to President Biden from his time as vice president were discovered at the Penn Biden Center, a policy research center here in Washington, D.C. We've got to get to some news breaking to us just in the last couple of minutes here at NBC News. Aides to President Biden have apparently discovered another set of classified documents, this time in a different location than the office where the first batch was discovered, according to a person familiar with the matter. We appear to be able to confirm that that is correct, that a third discovery was a single document. According to this official to Fox News, the DOJ just found out about that one this morning, and it was found at his residence. It's been really hard to keep up with this. And I mean, the team has been working overtime just when we thought we had the whole story or segment pinned down, more information continued to come out. And we are sure that more information will come out even after today's show. We now know more about the second batch of documents that were found at the president's home. White House confirms Biden aides located Obama air classified documents at two locations in Wilmington home. President Joe Biden's aides located documents with classified markings at 
two locations inside his home in Wilmington, Delaware. The White House Counsel's Office said in a statement Thursday, the documents were located in a storage area in the garage and then an adjacent room, the statement reads. But we go further, cuz this is not it. There are so many moving parts to this story. Here's more on the first batch found at the Penn Center. The material was identified by personal attorneys for Mr. Biden on November the 2nd, just before the midterm elections. Richard Saber, special counsel to the president confirmed. The sources revealed neither what the documents contained nor their level of classification. A source familiar with the matter told CBS News the documents did not contain nuclear secrets. So President Biden said that he was surprised by the first batch of documents being found. You can hear it straight from him. I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review and which I hope will be finished soon. And this morning, the president came up with another type of defense for the documents found in his garage. Can't make this up. You can hear it from the man himself. Classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get the chance to speak on all those guidelines. So, uh, I said earlier this week, by the way, my Corvette's in the locked garage. Okay, so so the material was in a locked garage. Yes, that's all my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents, classified material seriously. Now, in case you had trouble hearing that, here's what he was quoted as saying with regards to the documents being found in the garage next to his Corvette. The president said the following: My Corvette. I don't know why the Prince song Little Corvette Max is in my head right now. But anyway, let me just go ahead and read this. My Corvette is in a locked garage, okay? So it's not like they're sitting out on the street. But as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified materials seriously. Now, are you kidding me? I mean, the president just, I mean, he said that this morning with a straight face. You take them seriously, yet they were found in your garage next to your Corvette that's not red, but little red Corvette. I just can't get it out of my head. As long as it's locked up in the garage with your Corvette, I guess it's fine. Now inquiring minds wonder if it's the same Corvette from the corny tweet you put out last year as Americans struggle to keep up with with the rising cost of living. Is it that Corvette, Mr. President? I'm kind of disappointed it's not red, but uh, here we are. Max, I don't know, I just couldn't help myself. I'm I really do feel like we're in the twilight zone, but unfortunately this this is real. We're not waking up from this. This is really happening in real time. No, when the best you can say is that the classified documents weren't left in the street, that's probably a sign you're not having a great messaging week. And this is really tough for Biden too. I mean, in this first group of documents at the Penn Biden Center, his team handled that absolutely right. You know, they they immediately notified the archives, they returned them, they cooperated fully. No one even was alleging that Joe Biden knew those documents were there. 
that was was I think something that was manageable. But now we've got another set of documents and another set of documents. And every time that happens, we're dumping gasoline on this issue for Republicans who are now going to want three or four or five different investigations into this. And and there is a huge difference between when documents are in an office that that maybe things were moved out very quickly and, and you didn't know about and your own garage. I, I think most Americans would struggle to believe that Joe Biden doesn't know what's in his own house. Max, I'm, I'm with that. I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth, especially when you're not really supposed to take those documents is my understanding. Uh, let me remind people of this, a reminder that Presidential Records Act requires all presidents and vice presidential documents to be turned over to the National Archives. A US Attorney General Merrick Garland is doing what he's supposed to do and taking some steps forward. We can look at this headline, a special counsel will probe government documents at Biden's home and private office. Garland named former Justice Department official Robert Herr to conduct the high profile inquiry. The paperwork authorizing Herr's appointment said he is authorized to probe possible unauthorized removal and retention of classified documents or other records. This reporting is coming from NPR. Now, of course, the former president, Donald J. Trump himself, no surprise there, has something to say on True Social when the news first broke out. When is the FBI going to raid the many homes of Joe Biden, perhaps even the White House? These documents were definitely not declassified. Now, Trump doesn't have much room to talk, but nevertheless, he's doing that talking. He congratulates Biden, you scored the GOP and mega folks more political point. And Max, you were making that point about you know putting gasoline on the fire and how the Republicans would indeed use this as political fodder. And we know if the shoe was on the other foot, which it was, Democrats have indeed done the same thing. And this dizzying pace that the American people are being put through is really not good for what government should be focusing its attention on, which is really helping to change the material conditions of the people of this country. Max, what do you think? You think this is gonna go on and on and on and on and on with no end in sight? Oh, I think that's the real challenge facing Biden right now. I mean, and, and the larger challenge, which Republicans of course don't care about, is that it seems like from Trump to Biden, that these classified documents are not actually that secure. They seem to leave the White House a lot. So maybe we need to be looking into making those more secure as well. But in the meantime, you know, Joe Biden now has some tough questions to answer about how those documents got next to his car and why he seems to to be almost making light of it on something that I think Americans don't find that funny. Yeah, Max, very good point that, you know, how did these documents get out in the first place and what should be done? And yeah, he does seem to have a very cavalier attitude about this because I think, you know, oh, well, I'm the president and it happened. The challenge to that is, is that we just went through this with President Trump and it does, you know, if, if having pushing for accountability should not be partisan. And that is the major point here. And that's why Garland had to do what he is doing right now. So Trump really doesn't have much room to talk, but but he is doing it. And he's feeling like his team, you know, his his attorneys reportedly believe that this is really good for them and it may very well be good for them. So you scored on your own team's goal. Someone needs to primary this man or else 
we're looking at either Trump or Ron de Sanctimonious in 2024 and maybe beyond. I mean, a lot of chatter about that is going on. And naturally, there's been a compare contrast with Biden's docs versus Trump's docs by neoliberals and the GOP shields. Or check out this tweet from a right winger, Tom Elliott, when he put up the comparison. We knew this was going to happen. CNN already downplaying Biden's theft of classified documents. And we had the comparison. That comparison, though, is coming from CNN. And we see, you know, under 12 documents, 160 plus secret documents, some top secret documents for Joe Biden, 60 top secret, and on and on and on. Really just a true, pure compare and contrast coming from CNN. Despite what Tom Elliott had to say, he did put up the graph from CNN. And here is more media spin on this. Take a look. There are differences in what happened. Yes, but you know, the are not good. Well, we all know that Trump is a liar and a thief. You know, <laughs> we know that. So it's not that big a jump to say that he obstructed and he lied. We don't think that Biden is a liar and a thief, so we give him the benefit of the doubt. That's partly what's going on. We learned that Joe Biden, fresh from lecturing us about how Donald Trump is a criminal, because he had unauthorized possession of secret documents. That very same Joe Biden himself had unauthorized possession of secret documents. Joe Biden is so virtuous, he has transcended temporal law. It's not a crime when he does it. There are differences, but you can't make this stuff up. But there are differences. For example, how many documents? In Biden's case, there appear to be about 10. In the case of President Trump, hundreds. When you have Karl Rove busting out the whiteboard, it's really something else. We really have entered the twilight zone. Politicians, especially presidents, love to say no one is above the law, but yet here we are. This really is like two students cheating on an exam. I want you to follow me because my teaching, uh, my teaching spirit is coming out with one admitting to the teacher that they cheated and claiming they should not get penalized for telling on them themselves. I mean, this is really what this is coming down to. While the other just plain cheated and didn't tell anyone, no matter how you slice it, Biden and Trump both feel some kind of way if they believe being president or vice president means they don't have to follow the duties of their office. And this particular point should not be partisan. It is about right and wrong. And it should not matter which team you're on and which team you are rooting for if you believe in standing up for what is right and for what is wrong, even if you do happen to be very fond of one of these two people. If they did wrong, you gotta be willing to call it out. And what will happen? Well, nothing for them. Trump is still running. President Biden is most likely gonna announce another run himself. So we'll keep getting spin from both sides. What it comes down to is all of this BS from both sides, from both sides. One side just puts a little sugar on their BS. Max, I'll let you have the last word in this segment. No, I think you're you're absolutely right. And I think it's it shows the double standard in government. It took almost a year and a half, 550 days for the DOJ to announce an investigation into Trump after stealing 300 documents. It took a month for Joe Biden. I mean, these are this with these standards of justice, it is remarkable that we make any progress at all. And quite frankly, we don't. That is true. And I think it's also the reason why people are really losing faith in institutions because they just don't see things meted out fairly, especially when it's something this clear cut about for both of them. It, this should not be up for debate. 
we got to have the investigation and let the chips fall where they may. And speaking of chips falling, the shadow president strikes again. That's right. We're talking about no none other than Joe Manchin himself. And what is he up to this time? Inquiring minds would like to know. Well, nothing good as we know with him. Let's put up the, his tweet here because he's outraged about something. This is a recipe for disaster. The federal government has no business telling American families how to cook their dinner. I can tell you the last thing that would ever leave my house is the gas stove that we cook on. Oh, Senator Manchin, you got a little too much time on your hands, brother. If all you can worry about is a gas stove. Meanwhile, you got people who cannot put food on the table. They can't even put food on the stove because of inflation. They can't, it's hard out here in these streets for working class people. But baby, you gonna stand up for the gas stove. Max, I just can't, I mean, I, I, I wish, I mean, this really truly is life. Not imitating art, this is life right now in the United States. I cannot imagine waking up every day being Joe Manchin and thinking in a state where your healthcare is among the worst in the nation, where your life expectancy is among the worst in the nation, where your income for workers is among the lowest. That the big problem people elected you to fix is that people are coming for your stoves. And the upshot being the stoves aren't even at risk. This is a story that Joe Manchin seemingly invented with help from Republicans and, and the right wing media. And it's a shame that that sometimes the most effective attackers of the Democrats are Democrats themselves. That is true. And just in case, Max, I don't know, some people may be confused about what we're talking about. So just in case they hadn't heard about Stonegate, <laughs> we want them to, uh, we'll catch them up. So yesterday, we talked about Republicans and Democrats freaking out about Joe Biden maybe taking some steps to uh, do something about gas stoves. So let's put up this, let's see this tweet from Representative Ronnie Jackson. who said, I'll never give up my gas stove if the Mannix, <laughs> Maniac, excuse me, in the White House come from my stove. They can pry it from my cold dead ham cans. Come and take it. In other words, I'm gonna fight you, baby, if you come try to take my stove. Now we know that that's not how that would happen, but it did not stop Representative Jackson from laying it out that way. But the focus today is on Senator Joe Manchin because he could not let Representative Jackson have all the fun. He had to weigh in on this. As a reminder, Joe Manchin has done nothing but mess over the people of this country. And as Max laid out, the enormous concerns and suffering of the people in his state could use his attention. But oh no, Joey has to talk about stoves. West Virginia does have high levels of poverty, no doubt about it. We got a chart here that is that shows it very clearly, the poverty rate in West Virginia from 2000 to 2021. Watch it, I mean, see it for yourself, very high. When it comes to who wants to live in Virginia, well, nobody wants to live in that state, maybe. Is that what we're saying? Nobody. West Virginia ranked 41 out of the 50 states overall on the worst places to live. And I meant West Virginia there. Manchin spends most of his time though lobbying for big oil rather than fighting for West Virginians who definitely could use his help. Surprise, most of Manchin's assets are in coal stocks. 
We got another graph to shock and all you here. The majority of Manchin's assets are in coal brokerage firm stock. The value of Senator Joe Manchin's West Virginia's declared assets for 2020 by category. And we see the largest category. Nope, you guessed it. In those energy stocks, those really are his owner donors. And he's not the only one. But this is the man that killed the child tax credit though. This headline, the Democrats failure of the year, letting the expanded child tax credit die. And there are a lot of West Virginians who could have used that tax credit, who did utilize that tax credit and deserved for it not to expire. But Joe Manchin didn't care about that. Democrats tried last year to extend and enhance benefits into 2022 when they made the policy a centerpiece of the Build Back Better reconciliation package. Senator Joe Manchin declined to support the proposal, citing concerns about inflation. And I mean, Max, the wrong concerns, if you ask me, about inflation. But let's look at this tweet from the senator. If this is the greatest concern that the Consumer Protection Safety Commission has for American consumers, I think we need to reevaluate the commission. No, Senator, we need to reevaluate you. West Virginia, please come get your senator. Y'all got another chance coming up. Don't send this man back. Max. I think it's really important whenever Joe Manchin is talking about something to ask yourself, what is he not talking about? Because he's put this issue forward. Joe Manchin needs this to be about stoves because then it looks stupid. If this becomes a conversation about healthcare and environmental damage as AOC wants it to be, then it becomes a real conversation he's not ready to have because it implicates him and his donors. So he has a really vested interest in trying to make this seem like some crazy idea. And the thing that we should be doing as progressives is keeping this conversation focused on the healthcare and the environmental aspects, which is what this started as. Yeah, it did. I mean, similar to us realizing as a nation that lead paint caused a great deal of damage, you know, damage to, to children over time. And, and people didn't just walk in and, you know, put people out their homes because of lead paint. We found ways to mitigate that. And this is the same similar situation. We got new information about the impact that gas stoves could have on children, uh, impacting them and, and at having an impact on them with regards to asthma. In the face of new information, maybe we might want to try to, to do something about it. But under no circumstances was the federal government going to come storming into anybody's home trying to take their blessed gas stove. Oh, Senator Joe Manchin, the shadow president. I don't know what to say about you. We'll be back. I'm going to think about it. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the show, my absolutely favorite part, round one. But let me start by letting you know about an MLK Day special. They called him Radical, a tribute to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So you can tune in on Tuesday, January the 17th for our special, They Called Him Radical, a tribute to King, featuring none other than Dr. Rashad Ritchie, yours truly, Nina Turner, my brother, Ricky Smiley and Sharon Reed. It's sure to be a thought provoking and educational experience. Watch to learn more about the history of civil rights in our country. You can tune in on tyt.com slash live 
YouTube, Facebook, or Twitch. You don't want to miss this show. Some incredible, incredible people on this show. I'm not just saying that because I'm one of those incredible people. But Sharon Reed, oh, lightning in the bottom. And coming up after this show, Reactions with Ravana. You want to tune in up next after this show, and that is at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on twitch.tv slash TYT. Go Ray. Now on to the comments. TYT members first, Nostra, the key document issue being totally ignored here is that an elementary school librarian has a better Dr. Seuss book check out tracking and control system than the White House does with top secret documents. No, sure you said that. That's pretty much what Max said too, but he said it in a different way. I got to read that with just one more good time. The key document issue being totally ignored here is that an elementary school librarian has a better Dr. Seuss book check out tracking and control system than the White House does with top secret documents. Max, no, sure got that just right. I mean, really, that that's right. That's that right there. Overseer Dixon, Overseer, hey, so glad you're here. Welcome back to TYT Max. Glad to see you with Nina. Oh, aren't we glad to have Max here today? What a great way to start off our new year is with Max in the house. And on YouTube Super Chat, Soul Life. I love that name. One side to poo, GOP. The other side is fermented poo. <laughs> with corn wraps and fake fake gold, neoliberals. <laughs> so, oh, y'all slaying me today with these. That was very, very good. That's pretty much how I see it too. It's, 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 it's BS, just one got some sprinkle, some sugar sprinkled on top of it, but you got that soul life. Thanks to each and every one of you. Oh my, y'all outdone yourselves today. We appreciate you, we appreciate your support. Because of people like you, we are able to do what we do on Unbossed and also on the TYT network. We are sending so much love. On to Moderna. On Unbossed, we've been saying we may be done with the pandemic, but the pandemic is certainly not done with us. And unfortunately, Moderna is looking to seize on that financially. Check out this headline. Moderna considers price of $110 to $130 for COVID-19. Commercial pricing is similar to Pfizer's plan for after government contracting ends. And this is coming from the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, you saw that right. You heard me right, just in case you're only listening, that these folks are planning to hike up the price for the COVID vaccine, knowing full well they should not be doing it. But greed, greed knows no bounds. That's really what's happening here. Uh, Moderna is considering that hike right along with Pfizer, so they're not by themselves. Moderna CEO Stephanie Than still had the audacity to say the following, and I quote, I would think this type of pricing is consistent with the value, end quote. How come you think the American people need to pay more than the federal government, Stephanie? That's the question we're asking. Why do you believe that? Yeah, but she said that. The federal government, which has handed procurement and distribution of the vaccines during the emergency phase of the pandemic, currently pay about $26 per vaccine dose. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, you heard that right. So Moderna wants to hike up the prices to between $110 and $130, similar to what Pfizer wants to do. 
the government, the federal government is paying about $26 per dose. And these geniuses said, hey, it's worth that. Meaning they don't care about whether or not they gouge to American people. And they're allowed to do this because there are no federal checks and balances. And all this despite the fact that we're dealing with another variant that could be a huge burden once again. We have a new variant that's XBB.1.5 is most transmissible, yet could fuel COVID wave. Now, Senator Bernie Sanders is putting his foot down, writing a letter. He wrote a letter to the Moderna CEO. And Senator Sanders called the price increases outrageous, and they are. The independent senator from Vermont and incoming chair of the Senate's Health Committee said such a steep price increase would make the shots unavailable for millions of uninsured Americans, potentially putting their lives at risk as COVID continues to spread. And Max, there I say not just their lives, not just the lives of the people who would not be able to afford it, the uninsured. There are underinsured people too who could not afford this. And this will have consequences for all of us because of the way that the COVID virus spreads. Yeah, and at the end of the day, this is even worse because this is, remember, our vaccine. The the taxpayers gave $10 billion to Moderna to help develop this drug. They backed, Moderna backed out of its agreement to share the technology to lower the price with other people and is now saying that they wanna charge five times as much to us for a vaccine that wouldn't exist without our taxpayer money. I mean, this is a company that made record profits, something like $20 billion worth of sales from this vaccine alone. And that's still not enough. And they, they still have, have could not be clearer that they do not care if this hurts uh, the fight against COVID. They do not care if people die as a result. This is about money as it always has been. Yeah, true that, Max. That is what it's about. And the federal government needs to jump in here, you know, the carrot and the stick. And I want to see some stick coming from the federal government. This is really unpatriotic. Senator Bernie Sanders put this out in a tweet. When Jonas Sack invented the polio vaccine, he refused to patent it. That decision cost him an estimated $7 billion. When Stephanie Bangsill, Moderna's CEO, got taxpayer funding for the COVID vaccine, he became a billionaire overnight and now is worth $6.2 billion in this greed. Max is exactly what you just said. And this is just a purely disgusting money grab by Moderna, a company that has already profited heavily from the pandemic. Moderna's COVID vaccine is the company's only commercially available product. The Boston Biotech booked a profit of 12.2 billion in 2021, the first year of the vaccine campaign and another 6.9 billion dollars through September of 2022. America, listen, we got to put a stop to this. This is the type of crushing corporate greed that we're talking about and this does have real in your face consequences for millions of people, not just in this country, but all over the world because we travel. And Max said it best, these people just do not care. But somebody ought to care, somebody with power, and that is the federal government. We did pay for this vaccine and it is immoral what Moderna, Pfizer and other companies are planning to do. Toxic chemicals go unchecked because this is what we were just talking about was toxic, but we're gonna go straight to some toxic chemicals. Top, toxic chemicals still continue to lurk and go unchecked. 
The US of A is losing the fight to ban toxic chemicals. Don't understand why that is the case, but it is in fact the case. ProPublica broke down how the chemical industries are causing issues for banning these dangerous chemicals. In other words, their lobbying arms are standing firm and they have co-opted so many of our elected officials to make sure that their will is absolutely done. So what's causing toxic chemicals to carry on? So I'm so glad you asked. Flaws in the American Chemical Registry. The chemical industry helped write the toxic substances laws and the underfunding of the EPA. There it is. I mean, it really is as simple as that. Lead that up, crew, lead that up. They helped to write the toxic substance laws. It's almost like the fox guarding the hen house. Not almost, it is. And the EPA is underfunded. Now, did you know that asbestos is still legal? Yep, even though we have all the science behind knowing that it's dangerous, it is still legal. The head of the chemical regulation at the Environmental Protection Agency concedes to decades of regulatory inaction. She says a chronic lack of funding and staffing plus roadblocks created by the Trump administration have hamstrung the agency in recent years. Well. I mean, you know, the Biden administration, I mean, the Trump administration is not in control now, so I'm just wondering what the excuse is. Let's put up this headline. This caused whole communities to have contamination issues like in 2019 when this happened. A Trump county confronts the administration amid a rash of child cancers. And the issues run deeper than funding and Trump's failures. This right here, the chemical industry helped to write the toxic substance law. The Toxic Substance Control Act authorizes the EPA to ban or restrict the use of chemicals that pose serious health threats. But industry magnets were so intimately involved in the drafting of the original 1976 bill that the EPA's first assistant administrator for its chemical division joked that the law was, quote, written by industry, end quote. Max, I mean, this really tells us all that we need to know. And this is not just happening on this front and dealing with asbestos and other dangerous chemicals. This happens quite often on all levels of government, particularly state and federal levels where the industry themselves actually write the laws that then elected officials go and try to push through. Yeah, that's right. And this is why Joe Manchin wants you talking about stoves because you're not talking about this issue. If you look at places like the EPA and regulators across the government, the most common past job of a senior regulator is working in the industry they're regulating. They were executives at these firms. They're doing this work on behalf of these firms. And to say, to just say without any care as these regulators have that this has been a problem for decades is shocking. I mean, that includes when Democrats had super majorities in Congress under Obama. And still nothing was done because the people who want to make profit are the ones writing their own regulation. That is it, Max. I, I, I really don't know of any other industry that has this kind of leeway with elected officials. And when I say industry, I'm not just talking about the chemical industry, but the lobbying arms, how much these corporations pay. To have lobbyists there on the hill and in state legislatures, I mean, they were, I've had to come face to face with lobbyists all the time. It's just par for the course. It is something that has become so normalized in America. And I really don't think most Americans truly understand what is happening and how these powerful interests who do not have any 
interest in their livelihoods really do in fact control most of the levers of government. It is really quite stunning, very much so. So we'll be back, I'm gonna be stunned during the break and then some. Welcome back to the show. It was such a delight having Max Burns, and I can't wait till he joins us again on Unboss. Part two of my favorite time of the show. But I got to remind you the MLK special, they called him Radical, a tribute to King. And we want you to tune in on Tuesday, January the 17th for our special. They called him Radical, a tribute to King, featuring none other than Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Yours truly, me, I cannot wait. My brother Ricky Smiley, my sister Sharon Reed, baby, you know, we're gonna rock this thing. And it's sure to be a thought provoking and educational experience. Watch to learn more about some of the history of the civil rights movement in our country. And you can tune in to tyt.com slash live. You can tune in on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitch. You don't wanna miss that. And coming up today, right after this show, reactions with Ray Vanna. Don't miss. Go to twitch.tv slash TYT to see Ray do her thing. Now on to our viewer comments, TYT member, Mickey C. Hey Mickey, LOL, Nina, you know as well as the rest of us what to say about Joe Manchin, but it's not allowed in polite company. <laughs> Mickey C, you are absolutely right. You know how I listen, often I have to remind myself that this is a family show, but thank you, Mickey. And on Twitch, Dr. Lee. Once again, Big Pharma putting all our lives at risk because all they care about is the bottom line. That is so true, Dr. Lee. And the federal government is complicit in this because they don't have to allow these big pharmaceutical companies to get away with this. It is the owner donors who appear to have all of the control. We got to elect different types of people who don't sell out to owner donors. And on YouTube Super Chat, Marquise, if Bernie runs in 2024 with Biden stepping down, I legit feel like he would win. I don't see any other corporate Dems beating Bernie nationwide. Well, Marquise, that might be true, but my next guest, we know firsthand what the neoliberals will do to try to stop a progressive. They did it in 2020 when they united all of their forces to try to stop our campaign. But I hear you, I hear where you're going, Marquise. Well, it is absolutely my delight and my pleasure to bring to you on Unbossed. This is the first time it won't be the last time, the one and only David Sirota, who I fondly just call Sirota. Sirota, how you doing today? I'm doing good, I'm doing good, thanks for having me. Good, no, it's so good to have you on the show. And just in case there may be somebody out there who might not know who you are, I gotta read some of your bona fides. I know <laughs> this does not, you don't like this kind of stuff, but I just gotta do it. You are a award-winning journalist and best-selling author. Uh, you live in Denver, Colorado. You were nominated. I was so excited for you. Nominated for an Academy Award for your work with, in partnership with Adam McKay, when you guys created the story for the blockbuster film Don't Look Up, which I must admit, I done lost count 
throat on how many times I have watched that movie because not only does it deal with you know climate chaos, I mean that's the major theme of the movie, but we can take out climate chaos and insert any other thing that's happening in the body politic today. And don't look up is very fitting. I am so proud of you, so happy for you and Adam McKay. That is a riveting movie. And if you all have not seen it, you need to see it, baby. It will rock your world and change your life. And the ending especially really messed with me. I mean, really, it kept me up at night because you you guys didn't play around with that ending. You made it true to form, and that did something for me and so many other people that I talked to about this. Uh, you are the founder and editor of The Lever, an editorial and editor at large for Jacobin Magazine and a columnist for The Guardian Magazine. And of course, you and I have been knowing one another for a very long time, but we rocked and rolled all over this country on behalf who I believe should have been the president in this moment. And that's Senator Bernard Sanders. You have years and years of service with the Senator in the Congress, but coming out and being his speech writer during the 2020 campaign and having you side by side with me a lot and just on the front lines of the battlefield means a lot. And now you're taking your skill and your ability to the another level with the lever. And uh, so glad that you're doing that, really. And I know you, you forgot to mention my best credential. What? My best credential is being the uh, the spouse of State Representative Emily Sirota. That's, that's my true. that's my best credential. The best credential. See, yes. that's a man who knows. <laughs> <laughs> Go on and shout out Representative Sirota. Yes, and uh, give her my best. I know she's doing. I will. I will. In the legislature right now. As we. As we speak, that is the best credential, and a dad too. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's also one of my. That that also is my best credential. You're right. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Mine too. Being a mama is my absolute best credential, and grandmother now. I know. I know some folks can't believe that that I'm a yah yah, but I am all of that. <laughs> I am. So now, so Sirota, I want to just pick your brain about. You know, you have written several articles, you and your team. And let me shout out the team at The Lever, too. You have some extraordinary writers, and on Unboss, we're going to have them on, too, to interview them. And that was very important to you because you like to make sure that, you know, they get some the shine that they deserve for the work because it does take teamwork, and you all are doing a great service. So, you and your team have written several articles about the dysfunction going on within the United States Department of Transportation. And even though there's some haters out there against you, against me, I mean, we get it all the time. The journalism that you are putting out about the dysfunction in this department and why it shouldn't be this way and it didn't have to be this way, especially with regards to what happened with Southwest Airline and then what just happened, you know, just a, a a day ago or so with the FAA. Why do you think it is important to expose deficiencies in our system and actually hold bureaucrats and or elected officials accountable? Well, look, I think I think first and foremost, we have to remember that the Department of Transportation and specifically the Secretary of Transportation is the sole regulator of the airlines in this country. I think I think a lot of people actually don't know that. Now, part of the reason why I think a lot of people don't know it is because I think a lot of media that believes its audience are liberals and Democrats that a lot of that media doesn't want to report it. Because they don't want to offend the partisan sensibilities of their audience. That we now live in a world where I think there are audiences that expect and demand to have their partisan affinities 
validated and promoted from news outlets rather than demanding the news as it is. The news as it is, is that the Secretary of Transportation is the sole regulator of the airlines under a longstanding federal law that effectively preempts any other regulation or regulators of the airlines. You cannot bring a class action lawsuit against the airlines. State attorneys general cannot regulate the airlines under this law. There is one person in the United States who under current law has the power to regulate the airlines and that is Pete Buttigieg. So point being that when the airline debacle happened, the first question we should be asking is was a regulator not doing their job? And can the regulator, is the regulator empowered to do a better job? And the answer is no, the regulator was not doing their job. And yes, the regulator could be doing a much better job. And you don't have to believe me on that. State attorneys general from both parties had been begging the Department of Transportation for months to take action to deter the kind of behavior that we saw with Southwest Airlines. Now, I know the argument has been, well, Pete Buttigieg isn't responsible for Southwest Airlines computer system that failed. And that is true, let's be clear. The, the Southwest executives who paid themselves $112 million, who paid out a $400 million shareholder dividend and didn't make what they knew to be necessary investments in their computer systems. Sure, they are certainly to blame in a big way. But they were operating in a regulatory environment in which they presumed that they could make those decisions, those irresponsible decisions. And if those decisions ended up with a computer meltdown, they presumed that the regulator would not in a serious way punish them. So the point being, the question we should also be asking when something like this happens, and again, it could be the airlines situation, it could be something with the rail situation, it could be any any kind of time an industry mistreats people. The question should be, are the regulators doing enough to make sure that people are not mistreated? And as I said, state attorneys general had been begging Pete Buttigieg to take specific action and he repeatedly refused. And we need a functioning democracy is one in which when those facts are surfaced, we say, we want the regulator to do a better job. Not we're here as part of the regulator's political tribe and we're just gonna defend that regulator. We need a lot of pressure on regulators to do their job and regulate. Yeah, we do and people were harmed. And as you and I both know, there are some people, it's gonna take a long time for them to recover from that harm of being stuck at airports all over the country. And the presumption that Southwest made was absolutely correct because so far so good for them and the CEO that I think he's paid about $9 million a year. And as you laid out the buybacks, there seems to be, there will be very little consequence for them. So it seems at this moment that they won't be able to handle. It's almost like, oh, it's the cost of doing business. We will take care of this. And you and your team, Sirota, have been doing and continue to do great coverage and challenging the American people to ask the hard questions and expect an answer. And these folks were given a lot of taxpayers dollars during the height of the pandemic. And this is how the American people were treated. And the regulator, as you laid out, Pete Buttigieg was not doing his job. That is, that's a fact. It's not an opinion, it is an absolute fact. So shout out to you and we'll keep 
you know, putting out the, the news. We've been covering this for a long time and using a lot of the levers coverage to, to remind people and also to educate them because Sirota, that's really what you and the team at the lever are doing. You're really educating people and we all need it. Now I want to go back to Don't Look Up. And it this was one of the most widely viewed movies in Netflix history. What were you, were you and, and Adam surprised uh, by this, the outpouring and how many people really watched this movie and enjoyed it? And can you tell us something on, on the, something that happened on the inside in terms of thinking about why this movie and why using climate chaos? Look, I, I think that our, our, I think it got such a response because we actually, um, we actually pointed out a reality that people know that they live in and that uh, that that doesn't get uh, explicitly stated. Uh, uh, the reality is is that we live in a world where facts are surfaced uh, and they are um, they are put into a media machine that wants to distract from those facts at best or to uh, suppress those facts. Uh, and we are talking past each other. We're not even really talking about the issue at hand. I mean, if you think of the comet as a metaphor for climate change, uh, we are not talking about and focusing on the climate crisis uh, on a day-to-day basis in the way that uh, we should if it was a comet headed towards Earth. And effectively, climate change, in, in, in metaphorically speaking, is that comet headed towards Earth. So I think a lot of people uh, responded to it because they felt like we had had articulated something, said something, that we all implicitly know to be true, but very often is not just said out loud. It's kind of cathartic. Now, you mentioned the end of the movie. I mean, there was a whole debate internally. Should we keep the end of the movie the way it is? Should we actually follow through and show the consequences of what happens when we distract ourselves, entertain ourselves, and culture war ourselves to death? And we went through with it. And I think it was important to do that as opposed to giving it kind of a Hollywood ending, a happy ending. I think it was important to do that to underscore that these really are the stakes. These really, really are the stakes of what's of what's going on. Yeah, no, you did just that. As I said, that ending gives me chills, even though I watched the movie several times, losing count here. That ending shakes me up each and every time because it is real. Those consequences are real, and you guys did not sugarcoat that. And I'm so glad that you did not. But then you put a little, a little nice little <laughs> twist to that at the end with the purse and the, <laughs> the social media thing to kind of lighten it up a, a little bit after the movie was totally over by then. But that little, little tease at the end. But I'm hoping that people, again, if you have not watched Don't Look Up, you have to watch this movie, it's very telling. And I think that we can insert uh, not just climate change in that, we can insert how corporations continue to be in total control of our government into that space as well. We can insert the cultish-like nature of our politics, Sirota. And I know we don't have much time to talk about that, but that is something that you and I debate uh, you know, all the time, or not necessarily debate, but we shake our heads about how politicians now have stands. I mean, you cannot critique any politician in this country, especially on the federal level, without their cult coming to their rescue. And for as much as people talk about President Trump having a cult like following, and he does, neoliberals do too. 
And we have put politicians on a pedestal so much that it seems like they can do no wrong, number one. And number two, should not be critiqued for their job. Right, and, and I think that's the problem of the political culture we live in. That's the dystopia. That the people who benefit the most from a partisan media that don't cover things in a nonpartisan way, the people who benefit are the people in power. That if you are a regulator who knows that if you don't regulate, your team's voters will simply cheer for you no matter what, then you don't have any pressure to really do the regulation you need to do. If Pete Buttigieg knows, that Democratic attorneys general and Democratic lawmakers for month, months can beg him to do his job offering specific steps that he can take to better regulate the airlines. And he knows he can ignore that. And if things go wrong, Democratic voters will nonetheless cheer for him. Then he doesn't feel any pressure to actually change policy at all. He doesn't have to listen to my attorney general, Colorado's Phil Weiser. He doesn't have to listen to the 38 attorneys general who wrote to him. He doesn't have to listen to Senator Elizabeth Warren or Ro Khanna or Senator Bernie Sanders who are telling him to put in place tougher penalties. He knows he can simply tweet through it. And that's the problem because ultimately this isn't about a team. This is about actually getting better policy to make sure that corporations don't treat people so badly. Yeah, that is ultimately it should come down to what the people need and not some bureaucrat. David Sirota, such a delight to have you here on Unboss. Cannot wait to have you back. I appreciate you so very much and there are so many others who do too. Please keep doing what you are doing and that is shaking things up per usual. And that is our time today. You know what I want you to do. I want you to keep the faith and I want you to keep the fight until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.